you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13. Uh, we're going to start in 13. We'll end up in 14. Um, man, those last two songs are good. Like, I don't know. Sometimes some of you guys will, will come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, were you following me around this week? Because what you talked about was exactly what um, either I didn't want to hear or I desperately needed to hear. Uh, and, and every once in a while, man, we'll, we'll find a song that will be um, just an incredible cry of, of my heart, and I didn't know it until it happened. And so um, we're, spending, we're spending a few weeks uh, exploring the pace of our lives, uh, not so much asking if we're doing too much or we're doing too little, though that, that's important to evaluate. Uh, we we want to press deeper than that, and we want to ask questions about the speed of our lives as it comes in relationship to the movement of God uh, in our thoughts and and, in our decisions and uh, in our actions and that we would simply ask ourselves whether or not we are honestly doing life at the speed of God. And and it's pretty easy to do the life at the speed of of other factors. Uh, We can do speed at uh, life at the speed of our jobs or our families or even our desires. Sometimes we can set the pace, uh, or sometimes uh, we can set the pace, while others uh, times it's, it's simply life is like holding on to a bumper, hoping you don't fall off, right? Have you ever been in that spot? You're like, I just wish life would slow down just a little bit. Uh, and, and but But I think doing life at the speed of God requires... Uh, determination and de- dedication because it requires us to look at God. It requires us to spend time with Him. It requires us asking Him what He longs for us to do with our lives and then discover how He desires for us to live as His kids. And, and I find that, that any time my life is out of sync uh, with God, the reason is because I've chosen to live at a speed that is contrary to the speed He's calling me to live. And even even with good intentions, uh, I can try to get ahead of something that he's doing, ignoring, as we've been talking about, that, that it's in the traveling where we learn more about his heart for us, not necessarily the destination. And so uh, there, there are even times that I'm out of sync because uh, with my flirtation with sin, that, that he's chosen to not advance down a road that I'm traveling. Have you ever been there with him that... That you say, hey, I'm going here, and he says, I'm not going down there because that's not where I've told you to go. Uh, and, but because he, mainly because he wants to take no part in uh, any sinful action of our lives. And so, so he very gracefully reminds me where he is, and I'm invited to adventure with him on his terms, since he is, after all, the one who has provided, who has taught, who has modeled for me the healthiest, most joy-filled way and peace-filled way to live life. And, and so the way we've been doing this is we've been uh, exploring some scenes out of the book of Exodus. Mainly, we've been walking uh, in some scenes through a guy named Moses as he plays a role in bringing, out, uh, bringing the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt and, uh, and, and leading them into this freedom of the promised land. And, and we've seen God call Moses to go so far. Remember, he speaks to him out of a burning bush, uh, and he commissions him to go. And then we walked a weekend, some of Moses' excuses for why he didn't want to go. 
Uh, and then uh, last week we, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about the in-between that the Israelites found themselves in. They have the promise that God is going to rescue them uh, and then He's going to lead them out of slavery. And then you have the promised land where He eventually will lead, uh, lead them. But we've talked about what do you do in that in-between. And we said there's a process involved. And that process matters because it's in that process we learn something great about God's heart for us. And, and mainly what we learned is that, uh, that, that God has a great heart for the Israelites and that his, the power He possesses He's going to put on display so that there's no doubt who's in control of this thing. And so this morning, we're going to, we're going to jump a few chapters. I, uh, I enjoyed some of you telling me you didn't enjoy the cliffhanger that we left you at. Uh, and I didn't tell you the funny joke is we're not even going where we left off. Uh, and so you might, I don't know, have to read your Bible this week. Um, but we're going to jump. You laugh, like, <laughs> read my Bible. No way. Anyways, we're going to jump to chapter 13, and we're going to hit. We're going to miss a big portion of of what's going on. But I'll, I'll get you caught up. Uh, and but we're going to end up at a place that is perhaps one of the most remembered scenes in the entire Old Testament. It's a big one. And so let's let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that that you move in our presence. Father, we don't, we don't deserve that. We don't, we don't deserve to hear You speak to us, to hear You sing over us as You've promised us in Zephaniah chapter 3. And I'm just in awe that You love us. And I pray this morning as we walk through and we see this scene through the eyes of the Israelites that we would be able to include ourselves in it. And that we would be able to ask you where it is you are moving in these steps. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so in order to start in the right place, um, it's cool, man. It's just not, I'm not trying to teach a lesson or anything here. And so, so in order for us to start in the right place, we need to, we need to kind of see what's happened to lead us uh, into chapter 13. And so we'll go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, right? I'm going to give you a synopsis very quickly. You're like, oh, that's going to take a long time. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, right? God created, and we see Him create not only the heavens and the earths and the, the oceans and the mountaintops, but He creates man. And then man in, immediately is expelled from the garden. And... From that, God promises to a guy named Abraham that he will be a father of a nation of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and, and they would journey into the promised land. And then uh, Abraham has a son named Isaac, who when he was very old has him. Uh, Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob fathers 12 sons, uh, which is not... Uh, 12 sons today is like, dang, but now read the Bible. Not that impressive. Uh, but the 12 sons that he does have will become eventually uh, the head of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons is a guy named Joseph. Uh, Joseph has a promise of God uh, and is told by God about some things, uh, but like a snotty little brother that he is, brags a lot to his older brothers. His older brothers say, hey, kind of tired of this. Let's kill him. 
right? Uh, and then at the last minute, one of the brothers says, eh, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery, okay? So they sell him into slavery. And one of the most remarkable parts about Joseph's life is from, from really every moment of his life, it says, but God was with him. In some of the most difficult of circumstances, it says specifically that God is with him because what we don't, what they don't know, but we do now, is that God was moving Joseph into a certain situation for a great reason. Joseph is sold into slavery and he moves out of, um, it's sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar has a wife who says, hey, want to hang out and, you know, stuff. And he says, no. But then she says, hey, we hung out and stuff. Joseph ends up in prison, right? He didn't do anything wrong. Eventually, he, hears, he gets to speak to two guys who were in the king's court, king of Egypt, and he interprets some dreams. He sits in prison for another three years. Eventually, he interprets this dream, and the king of Egypt looks at him and says, hey, I want a guy like you in my court. And so, in the process, the land around Egypt hits a famine. In fact, Egypt actually hits a famine too, but because of Joseph's leadership... They're prepared for it. And the king loves Joseph so much that he puts him second in command. And he has such high esteem for Joseph that he says, get your family out of the land of Canaan, the promised land, bring them here. They can pick the best, the choicest of the lands and they can live there. And so God protects his kids by bringing them to Egypt for a season. Okay, and that's where... The, the book of Genesis ends with Joseph dying, uh, and then he, uh, the book of Exodus opens with a change of scene. There's a new king of Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh. Uh, and the Pharaoh doesn't love uh, Joseph, doesn't hold him in esteem, to the point where he, sa- he looks at the Israelites and he says, um, these guys are very fruitful and they are multiplying. What we need to do is oppress them, make them work for us. And that begins generations of the Israelites living in bondage, living in slavery. And so uh, this is where we ended up a couple weeks ago, or we started off a couple weeks ago, uh, in Exodus chapter 2, where it says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and it says and God knew that God knows and so everything that begins after this are are steps in God knowing the cries of his people and his provision to rescue them from their bondage and this is where Exodus chapter 2 starts off and uh, and really the first 80 years of Moses's life Right? So, so Moses is born. He spends 40 years in the palace of Egypt. Uh, one day he kills an Egyptian. He finds out that that wasn't done in secret. So he flees to the desert where he'll spend another 40 years living as a shepherd under the household of Jethro. Exodus 3 happens, uh, and God speaks to Moses through this burning bush, tells him to return to Egypt, lead the Hebrew people out of slavery. After much arguing and whining, he does. Uh, Exodus 5 through 10, there's this series of reversals, right? Remember, Moses, like last week, all, you know, super excited, bust down, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, who are you? 
And then we find this series of reversals. Moses will say, let my people go. Pharaoh will say, no, God will bring a plague. Eventually, Pharaoh's heart will lessen. And then, right when you think it's about to happen, Pharaoh changes his mind, which means God sends another plague. Pharaoh lets people go. God removes the plague. Pharaoh changes his mind. This goes on and on and on until about chapter 11. 11 and 12, you get the final plague. And then you get Passover. Uh, and I, I would highly encourage you, if you don't know the Passover significance, it's, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, Exodus 13, the Israelites are going to leave Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And this is where we're going to pick up the scene uh, in, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. And I think we have some of those verses for the screen. It says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, okay, God did not lead them. If you like to underline your Bible, this is a great line to underline. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness. And I want you to underline or circle this next word. Toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And so notice what's going on here. There's two routes to take to the promised land. And and one route would take less time, but it went straight through the belly of another beast. Uh, And the other one would take considerably more time, but it would lead them unbeknownst to a dead end. And and so, so, but notice who's doing the leading, right? Anybody remember? What? God, yes. You look like I was... Almost confident about that. Yes. God is doing the leading. We talked about this. Every time it looks like Moses is going to be the leader, God says, hey, listen, I want you to understand this is my provision. This is my rescuing. This is my orchestrating in your life. And so so God is, is doing the leading. He's chosen to take the scenic route because he has even more in store as he continues to reveal himself to his children, whom he dearly loves. And he's showing them the true the path to true freedom, and so uh, and and I wonder if we get here and we can ask ourselves a question of uh, is it possible that there's something important to learn regarding the speed that God wants them to walk? In fact, we we tend to think that that life that in life the faster we get somewhere, the better the, the result is, right? If I can just get there quicker, then I'll be better. And perhaps when we read the Bible, God says there's something about this pacing. Uh, because cause when we want to do it, when we want to do life faster, what we tend to do is we want to take shortcuts. And shortcuts doesn't necessarily mean growth. It just means you got there faster. Now pay attention when we get to verses 21 and 22 because that's gonna, this is going to be important. So Moses, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph had made his sons of Israel solemnly swear saying... God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from uh, Sukkoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And verse 21, And the Lord, pay attention to this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. 
did not depart before the people. And now here's, here's where the speed of follow comes into play because we know God cares for His people and He's leading His people through this scenic route. And while they're taking it, uh, they have these assurances that they're exactly where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Right? That's exactly like, hey, where's the cloud? Let's follow that cloud. Where's the ball of fire in the air? Oh, let's follow that. And they know every step of the way, am I in step or am I out of step with God? Do I see the cloud? And I think that the argument that we all want to kind of bring to the table right here, at least this is my argument, is you ever read parts of the Bible like, that must have been nice. Those guys are lucky. Right? If only God would do it like that for me now. Right? I would, I would just follow a cloud that's hovering over a new job. Uh, I'd be shopping for a new car um, and like, poof, pillar of fire right over that Lexus. Right? Like God never leads us to the Mighty Max, always to the Lexus. Some of you are like, what's a Mighty Max? Exactly. They don't make it anymore because it was a piece of junk car, truck. You're wondering if that person is the one and like you walk into the, the restaurant and there's like, this little puff of cloud, like six, six inches above their head. Like, how great would that be? Right? How easy would that be? And the problem with that line of thinking is it grossly um, ignores some of the words that Jesus promises us. Because we say, boy, it sure would be nice to have a cloud. And Jesus says, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come in and dwell inside you. In fact, he tells us these words. He says, I, I, I'll ask my Father and He will give you another helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans as I, uh, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So every moment we read in the Old Testament, gosh, that would have been nice if God would have done something so, so blatant to get people's attention. Understand, He has gifted us with something far greater than a cloud. He says, I give you my Spirit to lead. Now the question is, are we willing to follow where the Spirit leads? Are we willing to listen to what the Spirit is saying? Are we willing to open our eyes to the places that, that we are being led to? Because there's nothing that changes from the Israelites in our lives other than Jesus. Nothing. That God loves them so fiercely that He promises His presence in their lives. And I wonder, is it possible we don't see God moving in our lives at times because we aren't a, anywhere close to the pillar? I, just, I wonder that. that we, we spend time saying it must be nice. When, when God hasn't moved the pillar at all, we just refuse to follow it. We do. Is that a little too honest? I'll try to back it down a little bit. So, so the scene in, in chapter 14 was powerful when we allow the end of 13 to create the momentum. Okay? Israel is asked to follow the pillar, uh, and they're taking the scenic route because God knows best 
but, but watch where he leads them. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Piharairah, uh, between Migdal and the sea. That's the, that's the way you do it. Um, you say anything with enough confidence, people will believe it, right? Between Migdal and the sea in front of Belzephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea for Pharaoh. Okay, listen to this. He tells Moses, this is what's about to happen. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land of the, in the wilderness has shut them in. Because Pharaoh will look at them and say, they're lost. They've, they've trapped themselves. And so let me, let me give you, hopefully give you a better understanding. God tells Moses to backtrack a little bit, which if Moses is anything like me on a trip, you're like, no, I've already passed all those other cars. I don't want to have to drive back. Right here? You with me? Yeah. You're like, listen, can we just pee out the window because I don't want to get stuck behind that truck again. Right? But God says, hey, I want, you, I want you to backtrack. I want you to come back. And then he leads them to roughly a cul-de-sac. That on one side you have these Egyptian fortresses, which would not help you. Uh, on the other side you kind of have desert land, which doesn't provide any protection. In front of you is the Red Sea. And then behind you is Egypt, the land you just fled from. And so God leads them to this area, and I think this is where we can uh, insert ourselves in a little bit and see some struggle, because up to this point, we're excited about following God through the cloud and the fire, right? Like, it's not Egypt. Like, we might be, we're going somewhere. We're going to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and, and this is the easy part, right? Just follow the cloud. And if it's dark outside, follow the fire. Just keep walking in that direction, and all of a sudden it Cloud comes, we backtrack, and then you start to look around, and you say, this is, where are we going? Where are we going? Because we can't go left, we can't go right, we don't want to go back, and we can't go forward. So, so what in the world is God doing? And I think we, we get to this part where we're excited about God moving, and then all of a sudden we're like, this appears to be a dead end. So what do we do in those moments, and I think that's a, I think some of our conversations change dramatically, and, but this is exactly where God wants them, God wants us for, it says this in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he will pursue them, and I will, what's that, what's those next two words? Get glory, thank you for whispering over this side, uh, get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. What's one thing Pharaoh said last week to Moses? I don't know this God you're talking of. Oh no, I certainly don't respect him, so I'm not going to let you go. And they did so. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the, uh, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we've done? That we've let Israel go from serving us. And so, so he made ready his chariots and he took his army with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly and the Egyptians pursued them 
all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped at the sea by that place in front of the other place. When Pharaoh drew near, verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, so, so just see if we're paying attention. Who's leading who here? Who's leading the Israelites? Anybody? God, thank you. God is leading the Israelites. That God is leading... Uh, and, and what we discover is that he's orchestrating a showdown. So the question is, why? Why is he orchestrating the showdown? Is it because he wants to be popular? That he's hoping to get more votes for prom king? No. He's showing the Israelites something deep about who he is. He says, you guys don't really know me, but I'm about to rescue you, and I'm about to take you to freedom. And there's going to be no doubt Who's responsible for this deliverance? There's going to be no doubt because I'm about to go after the person who controlled your freedom, Pharaoh. And I would imagine as an Israelite, there's comfort as you walk knowing um, if you're lost, that that, that at the very least you could backtrack, right? But now they found themselves in a place where they, they start to backtrack and they hear this thunderous roar of the Israelites' army. I'm sorry, of the Egyptian army. And they know that they're trapped. They're trapped. And at first they do precisely what they should do. They cry out to the Lord, but it doesn't take long. This is what I love about the Israelites, because I get exposed very easily, because I have these great moments, these great flashes of like, I'm just going to take it to the Lord, and then almost immediately say, Nope! So, it doesn't take them long before they divert their attention and blame starts getting thrown around. And verse 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. And we said this last week that they, the struggle here is they've never grasped freedom. And they don't understand that just a fraction of a moment in freedom is better than a lifetime in slavery. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You have to love this because, again, this hour of freedom that they've experienced has to be better than the slavery. They they come to Moses and they ask him if this is just some cruel trick you know, was, was he leading them in this death march? And, and they're, they're willing to settle for a life shackled in slavery under the power of the Egyptians when God is offering them freedom in a land that is rich and plentiful and all they have to do is follow. And I think there's a correlation there in our lives. For instance, do, do you flirt with settling in sin and staying shackled to it? And a shackle to its consequences when all along you know that, that even one minute lived in the freedom of God is better than a lifetime of sin? Like I get, I, I get that in flashes. I do. And I struggle with it. And so Moses, verse 13, said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You only have to be silent. Like you don't have to do anything. Literally. Just shut your mouth and watch what God is going to do. In fact, there's four things that Moses tells us uh, what to do when we get to our Red Sea. If we're following the pillar, okay? If we're following it to a dead end and we know we follow God, he says these four things. He says, number one, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, why would he say that, right? Well, I think because fear causes us to do a whole mess of things. Fear will take you from trust to control very quickly. I don't trust the outcome. I worry about what's going to happen. And so I'm going to grasp firmly what I gave to God before. And so he says, listen, the worst thing you can do right now is fear. Because fear will move your legs, move your face, and move your mouth, move your bodies into all sorts of troubled areas. It would create hysteria. And so he says, don't be afraid. Then number two, he says, stand still. And I love this because if I was in Israel, I'd be like, what? Like, like they're not coming at us with whips anymore, Moses. They, they have these really long, pointy things that stab you and it hurts. What do you mean, stand still? And what an incredible level of faith that grows when you can trust God so much that when He says, just stand still. Say, okay. I'm not going to move. Because movement is not always necessarily the best course of action. Then he says this, watch and see what God is going to do on your behalf. Watch and see what God is going to do. We talked about this last week. God's not rolling the, di- the dice with their lives, is he? No, in fact, even, even when they came back, their issues is that they're not remembering what God has promised, and really their issues is that they're not trusting what God has said. That God isn't just like, hey, I'm just going to roll the dice with, you know, with Tristan's life here and see what happens. Hope it works out. No, He doesn't. In fact, Moses says, watch and see what God is going to do on their behalf. And in these Red Sea moments, He's displaying His power and His glory over the circumstances of our lives in order to woo us into deeper relationship with Him. That's what this is about. God is going to get the glory over the Egyptians so that the Israelites will understand how deep the Father's love is for them. And then the fourth thing He says is is, is God is going to move, just wait. Just wait. To which everyone in our room says, Boo! I don't like waiting. I don't want to. I don't want to cook with the oven. I want the microwave. That's faster. Even though it tastes better out of the oven. That's a cooking analogy for you all. I think so many times in our lives, I, I believe the Holy Spirit tells this to us, and we completely ignore Him because we allow fear or evil desire to convince us that we need to take matters into our own hands. And just wait. 
may be the most important thing you hear at this moment. Just wait. Stop moving. God is doing something. And I think if, if we are to follow, that means when God stops moving, so do we. That's the hard part, right? That when God stops moving, we say, I don't, I'm not good with this. So let me, let me give you three, three quick lessons. Number one, sometimes it takes tight places for God to get your attention. And this, is where, this is where God's leading them, right? He could have taken them through the Philistines, but he knows his kids better. He's like, we take them through the Philistines, they're going back to Egypt, without a doubt. And so he leads them to this tight spot. And they're fine because they're questioning, right? At first, like, this doesn't look like anywhere we need to go, but then they hear the thunderous roar of the Egyptians behind them and they start to freak out. And now, where do they have to go? They have to go to God. Because they can't take care of it themselves. And God comes in and, and, and so, so have, you, have you ever noticed that in your life? That, that sometimes it takes a tight spot for you to be willing to include God in the conversation? That that you start to ask God to break you free of things that you didn't really knew, know that it was weighing you down? That you start to understand more of His heart for you through circumstances that bring tension and stress? And what's amazing to me is, is God's continual willingness to bring us out of the mire and the muck sometimes that we even get ourselves into. So sometimes it takes tight places for God to get our attention. Number two, when God says wait, there's always a reason. And that sounds like a pastoral just statement where I don't have to explain it. And I don't, but the good news is neither does God, right? When God says wait, He's not obligated to explain it to you. He's not, because it's not about the obedience, it's about just the trust. Like, do I trust that what God is saying is the best way for me to live. Wait, wait for most of us is a four-letter word because we seem to be allergic to it. But there are times when God will tell us to wait in order to help us see more clearly His unfolding plan. All they have to do is wait and be silent. And then number three, I think, I think at times coming to your Red Sea is just as much a part of God's plan as crossing it. Am I willing to go to that spot? Like, we're going to stop. We, we don't have any more verses because everybody's like, we got to go home, right? But, but we'll stop here. But it's, it's unfair for some of you because you don't know the other part of this story, right? Or maybe you do. God tells Moses to part the Red Sea. Walls come in says the Israelites walk across on dry land, right? Somehow in the Disney version of the Prince of Egypt, there's a well. Um, the Red Sea doesn't have wells in it, but that's beside the fact. Well, I don't know why, why we should fact check Bibles like that. Anyways, so they walk. The Egyptians pursue. And then as all, every single one of those Israelites get to the other side God says, watch this. 
Poof. Wipes out an army. Drowns them. And all they had to do was wait. And so, so understanding this, they would have never crossed the Red Sea if they didn't at first go to the Red Sea. You with? They would have never crossed it if they weren't willing to go to it. And I wonder, again, if we're following God through the pillar of cloud at day, pillar of fire at night, if we're willing to go to that Red Sea. If we look and we think, I don't know. Looks like a dead end there. Surely you're not leading me there. But then they would never have experienced the rest of it. Let's start, we can start wrapping this up. The Red Sea for them will eventually become, thank you for sitting there, Tristan, and then walking right there in front again. Um, not again. Uh, anyways, so as we talk about the Red Sea, for the Israelites, they would see this moment the same way that we see the cross. It was their, por- their moment in their history when God delivered them. For generations down the road, they would say simply in the, the darkest of moments, look at the Red Sea. Remember the God of the Red Sea. Remember the God of the Red Sea. Remember what God did at the Red Sea. Remember that. Remember what God has done. Chuck Swindoll said this, there are tears that flow as God works in His time. But in the burning of those tears, God becomes very significant and very real. And we realize at last that a predicament in God's hands is only a highway to the promised land. And this is where, this is where we're at. This is where the Israelites are at. It was easy to follow the cloud when they knew for sure we were leaving bondage. But it became difficult to follow them when we felt the tension and the fire and the flames behind us. And so the question we we try to wrestle with this week, I would encourage you to spend some time in that first half of the book of Exodus. It's beautiful. It's incredible about God's love for His people. But the question that we're trying to wrestle with is simply this. Am I willing to follow God anywhere He's told me to go? Not just in the selective moments where, yes, I'm on board because that looks easy. Or yes, I'm on board because I can see the end result already. But am I willing to follow you to this place where when I look all around, I see nothing but a dead end? And then when I get there, am I willing to stop, wait, and be still? I don't know. My my desire is to be that kind of a person. My prayer for you is that we would be bold to be able to be those kind of people. And I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk with Him more and more and more, all we get to do is see how deep the Father's love is for us. And that compels us to walk into any circumstance. It says that the love of Christ controls us in many ways. That there's a good chance this week God is going to send you to someone else's Red Sea just to stand with them, to pray over them, to tell them, 
Don't be afraid. Just stand still and look and see what God is going to do. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are thankful that you show us these Red Sea moments both as as a way of displaying your love but also warning us and also just revealing to us really ourselves. And Father, we pray today as we begin wrapping up that, that if there's someone here today that that needs prayer, that they would find community today. If there's someone here that that doesn't know what freedom looks like because of your son Jesus, that they would come find me today. And Father, I pray for us that you would continue to fan a flame inside our hearts of understanding more and more of your great movement in our lives, even in difficult circumstances. So that it is undeniable who's at work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.